Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Move Nourished podcast, where we discuss nutritious eating, functional movement, and herbal medicine to help you move, eat, and live better. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Forrest. We're clinical herbalists, movement coaches, and wellness nerds. Let's get started. Okay, friends. So here's your struggle. You've come to the conclusion that you think that you may have a problem with certain foods or that certain foods make you feel not less than great. But you're also concerned about maintaining a healthy relationship with food because it is really easy when you start restricting to go down a slippery slope of a disordered or a dysfunctional relationship with food. So I've been working with this both in my personal life and more recently in my professional life for a total of about 10 years now. So let's talk about how we can navigate elimination diets without worsening or acquiring disordered eating because they are a very useful tool. And that's the sticker, right? They are the gold standard for figuring out if you have an issue or a sensitivity to a certain food. Allergy testing kits have a very, very limited utility, a very limited usefulness when it comes to figuring out whether you actually truly have a problem with food. And that's a separate conversation. But suffice to say that elimination diets are really the only way to figure that out. And by elimination diets, I don't just mean like eating less of something for a week. I mean a structured and committed process of elimination and reintroduction of at least six to eight weeks of pretty much zero of that food and then a structured reintroduction process. So the tricky part here is that we have to take a food out for an extended period of time in order to test if they're an issue. Like I said, six, eight weeks is the minimum that you see with my clients of as close to zero percent of that food as is humanly possible. But you do need to handle any type of food restriction with a lot of intention and awareness. One of the ways that we can do that, and I think the biggest thing to keep in mind while you're doing this process, so number one, tip number one, would be to do your very best to continue or to be aware of not assigning a value judgment to food. Just because we are eliminating a food from our diet temporarily does not mean that that food is now bad or evil. This becomes even harder to do when that food has caused you symptoms or harm or pain. So if something is, especially as you dig into this process and you're like, wow, that food really made me feel like shit. It's really hard not to vilify that food, but I really encourage you to do your very best not to assign it a value judgment. There's not clean food and dirty food. That's all kinds of messed up, right? Food is food and food serves many purposes. So even if we are making the decision to temporarily avoid a certain food, remember that there is no such thing as a universally good food or bad food. It's different for every person and it evolves over our lifetimes. To give you an example, I, for many years, was not able to tolerate dairy. Many, many years, probably six, seven years almost. And in the last year or two, I've circled back to it and, and tried it again. And now I am learning that I can tolerate a little bit of certain types of dairy. So it's not an all or nothing mentality. And I think that's an important thing also to avoid. Maybe like a tip 1.5 would be elimination diets. Even if they give you information about a food being potentially harmful for you, it's not an all or nothing game. There may be certain types of that food category that you can have while certain other types might not be okay. It may be a question of allowing some healing to happen, staying away from that food for a while and then trying it again. It may be a question of keeping under a certain threshold. So like maybe a little bit of, a, of something is okay. It's just like a lot of it is not. But even for the foods that you will, as a 
as a part of the elimination diet process, if you come to the conclusion that it's, mm, it's probably not ever worth it for me to have bread again, it's probably not ever worth it. I get a two day hangover, my anxiety increases, I can't sleep, yada, yada, the symptoms and the potential harm that it causes me outweighs the potential benefit or enjoyment that I would get out of the food. Even if you choose to never eat something again, it doesn't mean that food is evil. For some people, that food is fine, right? And if you can eat bread, I'm very happy for you. I think bread is delicious. I personally cannot, am not going to make the choice to have it, okay? So do your very best as part of this process to remind yourself not to assign a value judgment to a food, even if you are temporarily avoiding a food because you think that it causes you harm or negative symptoms, okay? Number two, the second super important thing as part of this process is in keeping with the spirit of intuitive eating, even within the context of an elimination diet, don't deny the craving. Instead, what I want you to do is examine the craving, deconstruct it, and then reconstruct a solution. Okay, let me give you an example. Let's just continue to use bread as an example because gluten is a very common thing for folks to do a trial elimination of. If you are craving bread, what are you craving? You're craving something carby, chewy, savory, maybe salty, maybe sweet, because bread can be both things. But the characteristics of what you're craving is something carb-dense, something chewy, something savory or something sweet, try and deconstruct that and then reconstruct uh, a solution based on the parameters of what you're eliminating. So whether that's a gluten-free bread, whether that is an almond flour roll or something, whether that's a certain pastry or whether that's maybe you can make rice pudding or I don't know. This, these are just examples off the top of my head. But do your best to think about what are the characteristics of that food that I'm craving and how can I find a replacement for that that's going to help satisfy that craving while keeping me within the parameters of the elimination diet, right? So the, I think the biggest, one of the biggest slippery slopes into dis a disordered relationship with food is to restrict and then deny the cravings. First of all, we know science is telling us that that doesn't work. And a discipline in willpower and habit science tells us that that doesn't really work, that if you're relying Surely on willpower, you're probably going to fail. And that's one of the reasons why that type of severe restriction ends up oftentimes resulting in this sort of restrict and binge, like yo-yoing between those two. So instead of doing that, don't deny that you're having the craving. Do your best to deconstruct and reconstruct what it is that you're craving so that you can satisfy that craving. Another example would be dairy is another common one that folks eliminate that I avoided for many years. And then again, I've recently been able to reintroduce. But what are we craving when we're craving, for example, cheese? We want something that is fatty, salty, and heavy on the umami. If you don't know what umami is, Google it. It's our fifth taste. So it's that sort of savory richness, meaty, fatty richness. So attempt to recreate the craving instead of denying the craving. Okay. Number three, if you are planning to eliminate more than one group of foods at a time, say something like Whole30 or AIP, or gluten and dairy, or gluten and dairy and nightshades, or corn and soy, whatever. It can be helpful. I would say both ways can be helpful. You can either do them all at once, but I have found that it is slightly less jarring and therefore slightly less likely to trigger or engender disorder eating or disorder relationship with food. If you do one group at a time, stabilize with that, and then move on to the next group. So let's say that you want to eliminate gluten, dairy, and soy. You're, each time you eliminate a new category of foods, especially those foods like gluten and dairy or soy, those are in everything. So you are going to, one of the most frustrating parts is that you're going to have to relearn how to cook and how to eat and, you know, what you're going to have and what you're not going to have. So trying to do that all at once 
can lead to desperation, can lead to feelings of what? There's nothing for me to eat. And then that can cause more problems. So what I often recommend is doing one group at a time, stabilizing, figuring out what you can snack on, figuring out what's a good breakfast option, whatever. And then once you've stabilized, do the next one, okay, until you work up to all three. And then when you go to do your reintroduction, you can do the same thing because you're going to want to do one at a time. You're not going to want to experiment with reintroducing more than one food at a time because this is the, you know, we're trying to scientific method this shit. We're trying to eliminate and reintroduce in a scientific way so that we can gather data on which foods are problematic for you. Okay. Which brings me to reintroduction. Don't forget that all elimination diets are not just elimination diets, right? They're elimination reintroduction. You're only doing half of the work if you're only eliminating. The point is to take out a variable and then reintroduce it in order to ascertain whether you have an issue. So don't neglect the fact that you're ne- we're never intending at the outset to never try at least to reintroduce this food again. The exception here, of course, is if you have like a anaphylactic level allergic reaction to something. If your throat is going to close up if you eat shrimp, use your use your brain don't like that one is that's different but if we're talking about things that are maybe causing digestive symptoms or disruption in mood or disruption in sleep or joint pain things like that non-life-threatening things the intention is always to be able to try and eliminate them and then at least try to reintroduce them okay so don't neglect in your mind don't forget about the reintroduction part we don't intend for it to be forever some things may end up being forever by choice because the way that they make you feel may not be worth it to you But the intention is always that we're going to at least attempt to reintroduce these foods that we are temporarily avoiding, okay? And just a couple of tips for reintroduction and ways to do that well is to have at least some structure. And that can be tricky if you find things like food journals or tracking uh, mechanisms like that triggering. So that is something that has to be navigated on a case-by-case individualistic basis because we do want to provide some structure around the reintroduction so that you can track whether eating gluten uh, disrupts your sleep because sometimes our subjective sense of these things is not as accurate as we think it is. So whether that's maybe reporting it to a friend or reporting it to me, a coach. So if having sessions with a coach during the reintroduction process is helpful, I've had several clients find that helpful to just report to me and not track their, certainly don't track their calories. Tracking calories, tracking stuff can be triggering for some people. So some type of structure, whatever structure feels like it's going to help you gather data without being triggering or punishing, I would say during the reintroduction process, that's what you should try to seek out. Some folks do a video log. Some folks do just a mood journal or a sleep journal. They're just tracking symptoms. But some type of structure when you reintroduce is helpful for gathering the best data for you to know which foods are in fact a problem. So in summary, because I'm a teacher, so we always like to summarize at the end, beginning and the end and along the way, navigating an elimination diet, which can be a very important and crucial step in healing yourself and figuring out how to live your best life and feel really great, can be really challenging to do while trying to maintain a balanced and healthy relationship with food. And four things that we can do to help with that would be doing our very best not to assign a value judgment to a food, even if we're eliminating it, even if it causes us harm or symptoms, not saying that it's evil or bad. Us making the choice to avoid it does not equate to it being evil or bad. Two, when you're doing the elimination diet, don't deny the craving, deconstruct it and reconstruct a solution. So think about what are the characteristics of the thing that you're craving? Is it salty? Is it sweet? Is it chewy? Is it crunchy? Well, what are the characteristics of it? And then try and find something or reconstruct something or cook something 
that is within the parameters of your elimination diet, but that satisfies your craving. Okay. Three, if you are eliminating more than one type of food or more than one group of foods, it can be really helpful to do them one at a time and kind of work up to the full elimination. And instead of trying to just take out a bunch of different categories of food at a time and leave yourself with like, how do I cook this? How do I make this without X, Y, and Z? So doing them all at once is definitely more of a challenge oftentimes for people than pulling things out one by one. Four, and lastly, do not forget that the point of an elimination diet is not just to eliminate, but it's also to reintroduce. So an elimination diet inherently is not just about elimination. It's also about reintroduction. And some things that can be helpful around that without being triggering, it's helpful to have some type of structure, but to be very mindful uh, and intentional around the type of structure that you have in terms of tracking or journaling so that it is not triggering. And in that regard, it can be very helpful to work with a coach as part of that process. And I'll put a link in the description of this episode for my website if you find that having a coach and having some extra support would be helpful. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Move Nourish podcast. I'm Alyssa, and I will catch you next time.